Welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of MixArtist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. This is the Production Talk Podcast, Episode 51. Welcome back to another episode of the Production Talk Podcast. Today I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the country that this interview is recorded on, the proud Arakwal people of the Banjalong Nation, and would like to pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. With me today is Mr. Adam Biggs, known as Big C of Big Sound Production, an authority in live sound. Welcome, Adam. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic to have you today. So we're in a beautiful location here up in, in the hills in the hinterland. Mm. Thank you for welcoming me to your place. No, it's a pleasure. Would you like to first maybe introduce yourself and talk about your career in, in audio? Sure. Um, Thank you. Oh, oh, the 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 potted version. Um, so I uh, have a production company, Big Sounds Productions, uh, which I have uh, I have been running for oh fifteen years, uh, starting from from very simple beginnings. You know, like a you know a couple of PA boxes in the back of a of a Magna sedan and uh, I, I started out because I was a musician uh, who worked in a music store uh, who played music constantly and uh, bought a PA because my band wanted to gig and I had zero concept of any of this stuff so I just bought some speakers and some microphones and a little desk and uh, just kind of worked it out and mm. uh, and then friends started saying hey we've got a gig at such and such uh, actually my first paid gig as a sound guy uh, was for uh, Jules and Jim Kelly at the uh, the Lismore Jazz Nights uh, which was an institution in, in Lismore for many 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 years and had some incredible artists come through and play and uh, and I, I came and did the PA for a friend's band that was playing at that and uh, And Jules said to me, oh, we, we, we often have people come through that need a PA. You know, can we pay you $50 to come <laughs> put a PA? And I'm like, $50 bucks sounds great. I just get to go and watch, watch the, the gig for free and get paid $50. Bucks. So I, uh, <laughs> so that was my introduction to being yeah. a uh, live sound engineer. Um, and uh, I very much uh, appreciate that what, I got out of that gig was not just an opportunity to start doing this at a very basic level, but I I, I made the decision very early on uh, where I was surrounded by all these amazing, you know, university lecturers, you know, guys like Jim Kelly and Steve Russell and Greg Lyon, and uh, and and I, I made the decision very early on to um, to accept any and all criticism and suggestion I got from these guys because mm. at the end of the day, they knew what they wanted to hear um, much more than I knew how to deliver it. And so I, I was a sponge. I just basically said, you guys tell me what you want and I'll aim for that. And so that was that was 
the first few years of my of my work were basically doing that show and then often sort of shows that sort of came off of that gig, you know, like someone will tour through and do that gig, but then they'd need a PA for a show in Byron or whatever. And um and so I, I made a lot of mistakes. I, uh, I I had no training. I just basically I read a lot. This was uh, this was before it was um, it was sort of YouTube and things like that. You could go to as a reference. So I did a lot of reading. Um, I did a lot of uh, of picking people's brains and uh, and just a lot of work. I just I yeah. just I just went out and did a lot of gigs and. Um, yeah, made a lot of cock ups. I can I can vividly describe to you every terrible gig I did in those early <laughs> days because I, I think they were great learning opportunities. Yeah. And uh and I just learnt it almost by feel. It was it was it was uh very untrained and very uh very loose, but uh what I felt I got out of that was this this hyper focus on uh, delivering what the musician wanted as opposed to what mm. I had as a concept of what a band should sound like. So yeah, right. I, I've carried that through. I've, I've always believed it's down to like, what is this, what is this person trying to deliver? You know, it's, mm. it's not my choice. It's not my decision about what they should be. It's, it's down to, you know, what are they trying to achieve as a musician? Yeah. Um, and, and, a, a, a very much a focus on music and 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 you know carrying through my love of music into that and going you know at the end of the day it's not about ego it's not about mm. how big I could make the sub sound it's not about you know, <laughs> it's all that stuff it's, yeah, it's yeah. like you know is is that what this band needs you know yeah right so uh, that's a great attitude to have in yeah the, uh, and, and I try and focus conf- yeah, yeah I yeah, try and convey yeah. all that to my to, yeah. to the people who work for me as well obviously I've got a lot of young people coming through and and learning mm. with me, and uh, yeah, that's that. That's the be all and end all, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's like, do you love music? Have you got a Have you got a good attitude? Uh, mm. And everything else, I can teach you. Yes, all right. Yeah, yeah. But of course. those two things to yeah. me are, are the absolute fundamentals of, of yeah. live music. Is uh, excellent. Yeah. And then, in addition to running your own uh, production company, you've also done some touring work. Work, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So, uh, can you share some of that? That that sort of came about through uh, friendships really it came about through uh, long associations with with certain people um, where you know I I, uh, I was sort of going in a different direction in my career I actually I was sort of on the tail end of a teaching degree and uh, and uh, was was sort of headed that way and the the production thing was just going to sort of pay the bills on the weekends and uh, and then I I had an offer um, right as I sort of I had I had an offer to take a full time teaching got job and then I also had an offer off the back of um, having done a an event for the Bentley uh, blockade crew. Uh, there was a lot of the CSG protests happening in uh, in northern New South Wales at the time, and I was very heavily involved in that. And so I was I was doing all these little pop up events and uh, some some major sort of protest events. And uh, one of the people that came along to perform at one of those events was Pete Murray. And um, uh, Pete and I got chatting afterwards, and you know we just you know we shared shared sort of passion for the cause that we were involved in there, and uh, we stayed in touch. And uh, and then he had a an event. Uh, he had a, a tour in Western Australia come up where his usual guy couldn't do it, and he said, "Look, do you want to come on the road for a little run?" Uh, cool. And that was that was my 
first official uh, tour was was uh, was with someone who at that point was was a huge name. So it was mm. <laughs> it was definitely in the deep end. Um, um, so that was sort of that. Uh, I I also through my work in the music shop uh, was was friends with uh, with John uh, Butler and Danielle Caruana. Uh, and uh, Danielle uh, and I had a, a really great friendship from uh, her sort of doing a lot of stuff in the Lismore music scene. She went through the conservatorium in Lismore. And um, again, you know, so when she started doing the Mamakin shows, uh, I sort of was was involved in that from very early on and, and, and very you know very gratefully i've i've stayed involved with uh with danielle's stuff so i i've sort of basically worked on every <laughs> every iteration of her music career since so i've i've, mm. I've sort of we two thieves and the current mumkin spender and bits and pieces so uh yeah so uh, mostly it's friendships you know like yeah, people cool. people i've worked with on yeah. shows you know Ziggy yeah. alberts uh came and did his first paid gig at the bruns hotel mm. you know and you know went from being a guy busking on the street to you know now an international name and uh and so again it's just those friendships that you build up mm. where you you know you treat people right and you respect them and you yep. do the best work you can for them uh and you know it, it is one of those industries where people have a good memory for that stuff they, yeah. they you know so they, it's all about the people it's all about the people yeah, you know of course and, and uh, uh, i just you know have to notice uh, to, to note that you're sitting in front of me with a bobby alu t-shirt okay. on <laughs> <laughs> Big uh, shout out to Bobby who yeah. was in the podcast just a couple of episodes ago. And, absolutely uh, legend. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Charles is just one of the <laughs> nicest people in the business. Yeah. And, and you know, we, again, you know, uh, I, I have looked after um, uh, a couple of local venues for for many many years, and one of which mm. was uh, was the Hotel Brunswick. And uh, and I've done a lot of shows with Charles, uh, the Bobby Alu crew. Uh, before he was Bobby Alu, he was playing drums in Oka, and yeah. that's that's where we first met. Uh, I did some touring with Oka. I, I got to know Charles through that, and mm. uh, and so yeah, we've had a long friendship and lovely uh, crew, lovely yeah. crew, yeah. just yeah, wonderful. Crew. So and amazing yeah. musicians. So yeah, well. someone who you mm. know, I, I've I've personally enjoyed the music of. My kids have been raised on that music. You know, yeah. Adam, what's what's the highlight of your your career so far? You know, if you had to name one show or one tour, I guess that's probably hard to say. But oh. you know, if you had to pick one, <laughs> uh, look. In terms of the experience and um, being one of those one in a lifetime things, um, I, I had the 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 great opportunity to travel to Nepal uh, with Tony Childs, and wow. I uh, just by total coincidence, I was actually on a tour with uh, with Mama Ken. Uh, we're in far north Queensland on a John Butler tour, and I get a phone call from uh, from these people who ran the Bali Spirit Fest to say, "Hey, we, we've decided we want to." Uh, get someone over as a consulting engineer for the Spirit Fest because we've we've struggled in previous years with local crews, etc. And uh, your names come up, and uh, and so I basically 
booked the yeah booked the travel to uh, to to Bali to do this festival and uh, and they said look you know a lot of the acts that are playing you'll know you know it's Wild Marmalade and 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 various people that are, I, I have had long associations with and they said uh, so you know that's why your name came up because all these people were like well why don't you get Bigsy because he's in LA. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and Tony Charles and they said look probably the only person you won't need to mix there is Tony because she's bringing someone. And uh, and Tony, I had worked with on previous events, and so I got in touch and uh, and said, "Hey, I, I don't know if this might save you some money, but I'm going to be there anyway." And she's like, "Oh, well, one of the reasons we're bringing someone is because we're going to go from Bali across to Nepal uh, to trek up into the mountains and do a show." At the top of uh, the the mountain range, so we're going to trek a whole PA and crew and the whole works, film crew, etc., through the mountains for ten days and uh, and basically do an event at the top of the mountain. And they're like, if you'd be interested in doing that. Uh, great. So again, you know, like I, I called my wa- I called my wife at the time, and I said, "Ah, uh, so this, this little run over to Bali for a week might turn into a few weeks. How does that feel?" And uh, uh, my my now ex wife was very gracious and uh, and and helped me uh, do that, and you know, looked after the kids and did the whole works. Uh, so shout out to Ruth, and uh, I got to go and do this amazing thing where we we literally trekked a PA generators and all uh, uh, up a, a mountain, and um, uh, we had a, a team of Sherpas who are superhuman, and uh, we we got ourselves a, a little um, stick PA from uh, AT. Technologies up in Brisbane. They they sponsored the, the the whole thing by like giving us this PA to try. Uh, oh, take that's up cool. And, uh, and some little, yeah. tiny little lightweight vase amps and things like that for the band to play through. And uh, and uh, and the the wonderful people at um, uh, Technical Audio Group uh, came on board and they sponsored us by giving us this very snazzy little QSC touch mix uh, console that had all the preamps and recording facility and uh, everything in a little touchscreen mixer and mics and the whole works, you know, they were wonderful. They, you know, gave us in-ears for the band and like, you know, they were awesome. So cool. So all these these came, companies came on board with these super lightweight, low-power draw solutions so that we could achieve this because none of that stuff was in place when I came mm. on board. It was like literally like, this is the concept. This is yeah. what we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm like, cool, how are we going to do it? And they're like, <laughs> we haven't thought about that yet. You'll sort it out. <laughs> Maybe you could come up with some ideas. So, yeah, we, we, uh, mm. we had this great, this, this great thing where we, uh, we literally lugged this, uh, this, this gear up a mountain and, you know, a five-piece band and, uh, and Tony and, and, a, and a bunch of um, – a bunch of uh, you know a video guy and a, and a camera person and uh, and we literally walked up and down a mountain range to do this uh, to do this event and uh, uh, I'll flick you a photo of, uh, from the from the top of the mountain which is kind of the the pic that has hung around 
Cool. I would love to put that into yeah. the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, because it, it really is mm. quite something. It's like literally sort of mm. standing on top of this mountain uh, at, at six in the morning with clear skies with uh, with Everest, you know, in the background. And like, it, wow. it, it's insane. It's just, yeah. I can't look at that photo and not just go, how did we do this? You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, like literally like hot wiring. Mm. Yeah, you know, power boards onto generators with uh, with my Leatherman, you know, and <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> it was, yeah, the, everything was was shoestring budget, and mm. everything was uh, how do we make this work? Yeah, how do yeah. we how do we carry the least amount of gear to achieve this? Because it it yeah, it literally comes down to like how many kilos can can one person carry wow. uh, to walk up a, a muddy slope for mm. for ten days, you know, so. You know, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy, but it was an in incredible experience. Uh, Tell us about the show. How did it turn out? It was great. We, uh, it was, it was not like it wasn't a ticketed show, obviously, because it was, uh, it was like literally at a a viewing point at the top of the range, um, and uh, we we got up at. 4 a.m. or something like that to drag all of the gear up to the uh, to the the sort of actual lookout point, which was maybe an hour's walk above the the place we we're staying, and uh, we put everything up, freezing cold, like so cold, and uh, and we we set everything up and we we put it all together, and by this point. Uh, in order to prepare for it, we had done several stops along the way where we had uh, we'd gotten a bit of B roll. So we had gotten, you know, if we found a nice spot, we'd just stop there, set everything up, play a couple of tunes, you know, like literally, you know, in a in a paddock or a, you know the side of a, a cliff or you know where there was a little outcrop where we could sort of set gear up or you know incredible incredible places. Um, and uh, in the staging village, we'd set up on top of a restaurant and uh, right by this amazing lake. So we had already basically run the show with everything set up and working out all the, you know, okay, this is going to work, this is not going to work, how much power are we drawing, how how long have we got power for based mm. on the, you know, fuel consumption, that sort of stuff. Yeah, we had done all of those bits and pieces. We went up, we did the event at the top of the mountain uh, and literally we were just simply playing to the people who were there to look at sunrise as it came up over Everest, you know that was the that was the event, <laughs> and all these people just hanging up, going, "Why is there music here?" Like it was, it, it was wild. It was, it was just one of those things where you could never replicate uh, the the energy and the uh, just the the sheer the sheer joy of like being in that space and yep. we're all, you know, gloved up and beanies and multiple layers of jackets and stuff like that until literally the second when everyone has to start playing and whatever like mm. that because it was so cold. Well, but it was incredible. And, well, you know, we recorded it and uh, it was great. Some great sh mm. footage shot, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, so we did that. Uh, we came back down the mountain. We went back to uh, went back to uh, the capital city. We flew out back to Bali to do one show before we came home. Uh, we landed in Bali and we heard about the earthquake in Nepal. So literally that had happened straight after we flew out of the country, like 12 hours after we flew out of the country, the entire country was decimated. 
Gee. So we still had people on the ground. We had people that had been involved in our crew were still there and uh, and obviously the Sherpas and all these people that had helped us. And so it it then became this whole different thing, you know, coming off the – coming off this amazing event where we were all just on such a high and like, wow, we've achieved this thing and, you know, potentially it's like Guinness Book sort of level of like highest gig and things like that, which turned out wasn't. Um, But we were on this incredible high and then we got home and we're like looking at the devastation and like literally towns wiped off the map and – and uh, yeah, and just like the capital city in ruins, and and just you know, an incredible thing to come back to. So, literally, we pivoted this whole event into fundraising. So we then started doing shows with this band, um, and we did one out at Crystal Castle outside of Byron Bay um, uh, for you know, I think two thousand people or something like that. Um, fundraising shows and things like that, and many many other shows with bands like Wild Marmalade and whatever, um, donating their time to to come and play these big fun raises to try and send some money over to the people who had basically made this thing possible for us. Wow. So it, what a story. Life-changing, man. It was yeah. really yeah, was. Yeah, just, right. just totally changed my perspective on wow. music. It's uh talk about highs and lows, you know, yeah. the um <laughs> for you know the last of 10, 15 years, you've been probably one of the driving forces here of the live sound industry in in the Northern Rivers, so at least my perception is that yeah, whenever I went you. to that's a great show, there was a good chance that you were on the controls <laughs> most of the time. Thank you. So, uh, and then suddenly COVID hit and the entire live sound Ooh. industry came to a grinding halt. Grinding halt. How yeah. did you survive as a live sound business? You're mm. still here yeah. in front of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still doing uh, what you do, but, you know, that must have been a real challenge. How did you get through that? Uh, look, uh, the the... When COVID hit, you know, we, we, we saw it all happen overseas first, obviously. We uh, we saw the thing in China and then uh, then Europe. And um, I was literally on my way. Uh, we were prepping to leave for uh, an eight-week tour in Europe with Ziggy Alberts at that point. And uh, I had literally dropped stuff onto a pallet at the shipping place in Brisbane and was everything was loaded up, you know, guitars and you know, consoles and everything like that, ready to go. Everything was, you know, all our production forwards were done. We were ready to go. And we we're like watching this stuff happen in Europe. And uh, and it literally was just watching the dominoes fall. And, and we were sort of, you know, the tour manager and myself were sort of looking at it going, okay, well, look, if Germany goes, we're done. You know, we mm. we can't we can't make this tour work without Germany. You know, this is not just the shows, but the transit points, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, um, you know, I had conversations with Ziggy, and he was saying, "Look, it's not just about whether or not we can make the tour work. It's people are getting really sick over there. You know, are you, you know, I had a brand new baby. He's like, you know, are you still prepared to go? And so there was big conversations around that. And at that point, no one knew this was going to be an Australian problem. Like mm. we, you know, we we literally we did all of this stuff. We prepped all this tour, and then like literally, we cancelled it the the day before we flew out um, because it was just clear that you know once once Germany went down, it's like okay, cool, everyone's closing their borders. We can't go. Uh, I had other friends who were already there. And uh, you know, and on other shows, and and we're we're desperately trying to fly out, you know, because they they re- recognised that things were going to get really bad, and uh, and so yeah, so I we literally cancelled, you know, eight weeks 
of touring. Uh, and then within the week after that, you know, <laughs> negotiating cancellation fees and all that sort of fun and games, uh, within the week, uh, we started hearing about it coming into Australia. And uh, the speed at which everything stopped was staggering. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously worldwide in every industry, but in the music industry, we literally saw 12 months of cancellations in a day. Mm. You know, we had venues that just said, we're not doing this. We, you know, we can't do this. Um, so we we literally just saw our entire slate wiped clean. Uh, every show we had booked uh, for the foreseeable future disappear overnight. Um, and no idea when it was coming back, you know, like – like it, it felt very end of days. It was like yeah. you know, like yeah. every everyone. It was just like, what's going to happen? So, so yeah, we're sitting at home and we're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess um, I guess we're not working for the foreseeable. Uh, I had full time staff. I had you know, obviously people who were relying on things. I you know had all the various financial commitments that go with running a business, and uh, and so we were sort of like, oh, how are we going to do this? We um, we pivoted into doing a few bits and pieces of, you know, streaming events and, um, you know, like bits and pieces like that where we would sort of be supplying equipment to mm. people doing, you know, online uh, concerts and bits and pieces like that. Um, you know, I spoke to my accountant and we, we sort of kind of came up with a sort of a strategy for sort of rejigging things while we weren't very flat. Um, thankfully, JobKeeper uh, came up and, and saved all our butts. Um, yeah, basically the whole industry went on JobKeeper yeah, immediately. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and it, was, it was brutal. It was really hard. Um, a, a lot of friends really struggled with their mental health. I certainly did. Um, you know, that sense of everything you've worked towards just disappearing overnight. And yeah. having no control over it, that was that was was a huge deal, you know. Mm. And uh, a lot of young people in the industry sort of look at it going, "Well, is this is this how it is? You know, like is this just what this industry will be? Uh, you know, no no sense of of uh, planning for things, no sense of of being able to sort of work towards mm. goals because everything would just be stopped." Yeah, a lot of businesses, you know, lives and business production went, business, uh, went out of business, but uh, yeah. you are still here. I, I was very lucky. I, Can, I, I've always had the approach that um, I don't like to owe people money. Um, so any, <laughs> any, any uh, yeah. anything that I want to buy, and I mean, I'm a gear hound. I mean, the, the amount of crap I own is just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but my attitude has always been mm. I, I won't, buy it unless I know I can pay for it without any income coming in. Yeah. And uh, and so that was kind of, that saved me really because I didn't have a lot of debt. And, uh, and you know, yeah, <laughs> for quite a few months there I was out uh, building fences on the property here and, mm. uh, you know, just, just doing, uh, you know, the, the bulk of the childcare and doing yeah. all those sorts of things. And, and it was awesome, honestly, you know, like, <laughs> First time in my adult life where I was off the road and I was, you know, didn't have to be out gigging late at night. I, I could just stay at home and focus on the kids and mm. enjoy playing some music, which was, you know, a novelty. So, yeah, yeah, look, good. in honesty, I think, I think for as many people as COVID was tough, there are a lot of people who actually, 
you know, needed that, you know. It yeah. was a great opportunity to step back and go, what do I actually want to do in this industry, you know? What do, mm. I, what do I want to achieve? What am, Time to reflect. Time yeah. to reflect, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and I think the people who are still in it are the people who took that time and, and thought long and hard about what it was they want from it. Yeah. Um, and for some people it was to get out. Um, and, and I totally respect that. I think there's a lot of people who, who looked at and went, you know what, this is not for me. Um, uh, personally, for me, what it came down to was I don't want to spend as much time away on the road uh, because that doesn't serve me at this point in my life. Mm. Um, so I, I think everyone had their own stuff and, and, and one of the great things that came out of, of COVID was the conversations with other people in the industry because we were all in the same boat. Yeah. Everyone yes. was in exactly the same position. Mm. And so there were a lot of people reaching out and saying, hey, how are you going? And, you know, what do you need? Are you, are you safe? Are you, are you coping? Uh, so in that sense, you know, the, it, was, it was wonderful to see within the industry that the level of compassion and empathy and support uh, that people gave each other, um, you know, and, and, and really sort of were there for each other. So I think, mm. I think as hard as it was on everyone's mental health, I think it was, it was crucial um, for a lot of people that yep. everyone was in that same position. And so we all got to support each yep. other. Yeah, yeah, that's really good to hear. Yeah, and then over the last couple of months, I guess it's mm. picked up again. And yep. you know, first it started a bit, and then it went back down. But oh, lately, it's been kicking. It has so, been crazy. I mean, yeah, like we. I saw you uh, on the controls at Blues Fest from yeah. a distance. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. wouldn't have seen me. I was in the crowd <laughs> dancing. I think but, five, uh, five, yeah. uh, five bands. I did at Blues Fest or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I had. Uh, I had a few great shows there. We uh, we did I did Caravana Sun, um, uh, and they had been supporting Cat Empire on that tour, and uh, and so I did Caravana Sun right before the final ever Cat Empire show. So I got to mix this great band and Mojo stage on the first night, and mm. huge crowd and amazing energy. I saw that show, and it was pumping, killer, killer. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we we got to do that, and uh, and then. Uh, you know, I got to pack up my console and then hang out at front of house with my 16-year-old son and watch the last ever Cat Empire show, you know, like, you know. Yeah, yeah it was a big bang. Uh, oh, man, you know, mm. those sort of yeah. moments are what, yeah. what you do it for, you yeah, know, yeah, like exactly. that sort of thing where you can just, you know. You can, so many of the musicians I know are at the moment completely booked. Nice. Absolutely. They, they are booked are. so well. The live gigs are back with a bang and now. We're at a time where, you know, some of the live sound operators have gone out of business mm -hmm. and uh, there seems to be a demand for yeah. operators. Is that right? Absolutely. There is yeah. a, there's a, uh, anyone who would like a job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, it is mm. really, really hard to get mm. staff at the moment mm. because uh, as with every in industry, um, people, people have, uh, have, have just made these decisions during COVID of where they are safest and yeah. and for a lot of people safe means uh, regular income yeah. and uh, and so a lot of people left the industry so mm. you know some of the best engineers I know are now working in like IT yeah. because the reality is is that they know that that will still be there if another outbreak hits you know and so yeah, they're just right. they're just gone they're out of the industry mm. so I guess uh, uh, quite a few bands find themselves in a situation where they have to do at least the small events by themselves mm. and may not have an engineer yeah absolutely what advice and tips 
would you have for bands who need to mix themselves in smaller venues? Mm. Uh, look, I, I I get asked a lot, like from musicians, going, you know, what what's the what's the basics? You know, what's the where do I start? You know, and and I, I literally had uh, my good friend uh, Luke Vassella over uh, yesterday, yesterday, day before, uh, and uh, going through his rig and set up and and because he's one of those guys he's he's someone who in the majority of the events he plays he's looking after himself and uh and we went through his setup and we looked at some stuff around gain structure and we looked at some stuff around uh power and mm. uh cabling and just uh, like fundamentals like stuff that you think oh yeah you, you know that because you've been doing it forever um and this is not to throw shade on Luke it's it's a it's a commonality uh with a lot of musicians is that um playing music is not really a technical brain pursuit so when you're playing music you're not thinking about the technology mm. and so it's it's really hard to do both of those things it's really hard to be the engineer and the musician because they are fundamentally different parts of your yes your your brain yes. you know I it's, would almost say that it rules each other out in I, some almost, ways. you yeah, can't do it it's really tricky so yeah, yeah, good. Mm. so uh so you know that just that thing mm. of just being able to go through with someone and say well mm. we'll prepare you know like you you need to know what you're coming into you need to know what gear is available to you you need to know what the minimum requirements for your setup are um mm. if you're playing in a full band uh, and you're playing in a stadium, then there's a very different level of minimum requirement to if you're a full band playing in a room to 25 people. Yeah. Um, so you need to understand and, and really understand your sound, really understand what needs to be presented in your sound so that you can then look at it and go, okay, well, actually, our minimum requirements is the vocal needs to be heard. Yeah. Um, the guitars are loud enough. Yeah. The bass and drums are loud enough. Yes. You know, the keyboards might need to run through the PA. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really about understanding those fundamentals because it doesn't matter how big the get, gig gets, the fundamentals don't change. You know, mm. you still got to know, okay, what do we need in order to present a balanced mix? You know, and a balanced mix can be as simple as turning around to the guitar player and saying, you need to come down a little. It doesn't necessarily need to be a technical mm -hmm. solution. Yes. So, so that, it starts starts on stage. Absolutely. With the volume on stage. It, it starts yes. and stops on stage as far yes. as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And that's whether you're mixing yourself or you're working with an engineer mm -hmm. or, you're, or you're in a, a, a big production. Uh, it, it's, it's so much about the source. Um, mm. And, yeah, so that's – I don't think that changes. I think realistically whether you're putting a single vocal mic up through a single speaker uh, so that the, the vocalist can be heard in a small room or whether you're doing a house concert and mm -hmm. literally doing it acoustic or – the fundamentals don't change. It doesn't matter what the technology is. Yeah. It's about delivering the sound that you have in your head as a – a band or as a soloist mm. or as a whatever, an electronic act or whatever it is you are. Uh, it's about going, well, what, what do I need to deliver that to the audience in the way I intend it? Um, you know, I, my, my attitude has always been, even on small PA shows, is that I want to deliver a sound that feels like a 
big sound. Like, you know, it's uh, like, know, a, big it's like a big sound. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> it, it literally is one of those things where, I, you know, mm. if I've got yeah. a, a couple of boxes on sticks and, yeah. and a, a basic console, I want people to feel like they're standing in front of, you know, amphitheater stage, mm. getting like the best possible delivery of sound. Uh, and it, it almost doesn't matter how much PA there is. It's like you can deliver that as long as you're thinking about what it is the band's trying to deliver, you know? Like, okay. you know, I, I, I worked with, um, that's a great, that's a Queensland band, Electric Lemonade, and so, you know, seven, eight piece funk outfit. Yeah. yeah. It's super high energy, great, you know, great interactions on stage. They listen to each other. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was my show on Sunday night at the Bruns, and like literally vocal PA with a couple of subs, you know, it was very simple setup. Um, but to me, it's like, okay, cool. Uh, are, the, are the horns balancing out with the keys player? Are, is, are the vocals popping? Is there like energy there? Is the, mm. you know, there's the, is the, do the drums feel big and like, you know, present? And, uh, you know, is everything, is everything taking up its own space? You know, yep. like, and, yep. and you can do that on any size of PA. You know, the bigger the PA, obviously, the more fun you can have and the more you can deliver to more people. But, it doesn't matter. It really mm. doesn't matter how big the PA is because if you can't get all of that working together, a terrible mix on a big PA just sounds like a terrible mix. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think I think at the end of the day, it's 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 not about how much money you've spent on gear. It's not about how much gear you're carrying into the venue. Uh, it's it's about like what what do you need to make that work? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, very rarely do I run into a show where I think, oh, they don't have enough gear. Yeah. It's most of the time it's the exact opposite, that yeah. there's a lot more gear present than actually needed for the event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. good point. Um, so what is it in, in, in your uh, life that makes makes it harder for you to pull a good sound? You know, when you work with musicians, what mis- common mistakes do you see where people, um, probably unintentionally, I guess, uh, yeah. do things that make it harder for you to, to pull a good sound? Yeah. Um, look, I guess it, it's different for different things. So um, volume is probably the first thing that I'd talk about. Um uh, there's there's this sense, um, particularly as you get into bigger stages and bigger acts, there's this sense that it's not working unless it's working loud. Um, and, you know, the amount of bands you, you get up on stage and you're like seeing it up and it's like it's quite simple, you know, it might be just like acoustic or whatever. And people are like, oh, I need more more guitar in the fallback or I need, you know, like they're going to make the vocal like really loud or this, that and the other. And... um it's it's so counterproductive, like incredibly counterproductive, mm. um, because the the louder things get, um, the the less control you have. You know, it's okay. like, can you explain on that? Yeah, you know, so, why is that? So you know, like let's let's look at it from a band perspective. So we've got a you know four piece band. We've got you know guitar, bass, drums, and a vocal. So you've got a vocal, and that that to some point is a fixed volume. You know, so mm. someone when they're singing can sing to a certain volume comfortably and with their within their range and their dynamic ability. So to a degree, that's a fixed volume. Um, so as an engineer, what we're doing is we're putting a microphone in front of that fixed volume and we're adding gain to a point where we can then amplify that into a PA. 
so uh, it, it's it's a it's very similar to recording, but there's an interaction that you don't have when you're recording, when you're working live. There's an interaction between what you're adding and gain to that microphone and how much that interplays with fallback wedges, uh, interplays with the PA out front, uh, interplays with the room reflecting the PA. Yes. Uh, all of those things. So, um, yeah, so you've, you've got... You've got hard limits. You've got hard limits for where you can take that vocal. So you're saying there's trade-offs. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not just only an advantage of gaining it up, but yeah. from a certain volume you get disadvantages like, 100%. I guess, you know, spill into other microphones. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah. The PA so, feeding back into the microphone, blurring everything yeah. you touch. Yeah. So yeah. if we think about yeah. like a vocal as being like obviously a fairly key thing, you know, for the majority of bands, the vocal is the focus. Yes. Um, you know, people want to hear the lyrics. They want to understand. They want to feel that emotion traveling. Um, and if you've got a drummer sitting behind a singer, like, you know, using all of their, their gym chops to like hit that snare at 110 dB on yeah. every single stroke. And, you know, you've got a guitar player who's just bought their new, uh, you full know, stack Marshall, full stack Marshall, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 you know the, the AMB cabs, the whole works and, and a bass player who's competing with that by, mm. you know, they've now got their 2000 watt head and, you know, like a couple of 410 cabs. There's just, there's, there's so much volume. Yes. So much volume, so much power in those instruments that you will never, ever compete with with a single vocal. So if you try to gain it up, what what do you get? So yeah. uh, to me, I I I I always try and explain it to my staff when I'm I'm training and whatever like that. I always tend to treat it as you know you look at a channel strip on a console, and the first thing up the top below where you plug the microphone in is a gain control. Now, to me, the way I explain it to my crew, the gain control is the ears of the console. Now, the more you turn up that gain control, the more you hear, the more you're, you're bringing into your ears. So if you can keep your gain nice and low and uh, appropriate for the, 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 the volume that the person is, is singing at, and, and obviously between songs is speaking out and things. If you can set the gain structure in such a way so that you're sort of, you know, you, you're not going into, you're not, you're not pushing it into the red, but you're also not like sitting way below unity gain. So mm. you, you sort of, you know, you're trying to find a nice midpoint there so that it's it sounds nice, it sounds rich. It's They've got a bit of movement they can sort of get in and out off the microphone and, and, and use their own dynamics to, to sort of work the tone. Yeah. Um, so cool, you've got that happening. You've, you've set that up really nicely. Now, the thing is, if you've got a singer that is really, really getting smashed by a hugely loud, loud band on stage, they're going to have to be hearing themselves more. So they're going to need one of two things. You're either going to have to turn the gain up on the microphone so that there's more sensitivity in the mic so that you can then push more back towards them in the fallback. Um, or you're going to have to like turn the gain down so it's not hearing quite as wide a spill, you know, like mm. you know, the lower the gain on the microphone, the less it's going to be picking up your guitar player sitting right next to you playing at you know, 95 dB or whatever. Um, that's a huge trade-off, you know, and in the live sound world, that's the difference between a good show and a, and a very mediocre show is how much everyone's prepared to work together yep. um, to deliver 
the band as a show, not yeah. not their particular element of that. So you know, I, I know I'm selling, I'm picking on guitarists. I, I, I am a guitar player. I totally appreciate <laughs> the, the the joy of having a nice loud amp behind mm. you. Uh, so yeah, it's it's that thing of going well. Okay, well if if I need to turn the gain down on the vocal mic so that it's not hearing quite so much spill off the guitar amp, now I'm working at a suboptimum position with the vocal itself. That singer might have to like lean into the mic more and and mm. be be really chewing that mic in order to be able to hear themselves in the fallback. Uh, that that one it rapidly decreases my dynamic range because they 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 can't actually use their own you know training and dynamics to get on and off the microphone as they need it. Mm. Um, it's it's in, increasing. You know the obviously the closer you get on a microphone and the more bass response you have, things like that. So um, now I'm, I'm now I'm on the EQ and I'm trying to fix things because of like oh now it just sounds really boomy and I'm not yeah. getting the cut and I'm not getting the the tone. And it it just becomes this massive trade off. It's like a domino game, basically. Absolutely, you know, if something Absolutely. goes wrong on the stage. It just has knock on effects on everything else. Yeah. So you know, like by mm. and large, the 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 biggest thing I try and uh, get people to think about is is that sense of like it's 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 it, all those parts are super important. Yeah. And if you let one of those things go, then everything else suffers. Is it correct to say that you know the the band drums, bass, guitar, keys, and so on? They should therefore be sensitive towards the singer and adjust the volume in correlated to the singer. So, meaning yeah. uh, when the singer sings quiet, the band should be quiet. Absolutely. Or when the singer is, you know, yelling like crazy, then the band can yeah. come up. Is yeah. that fair? Absolutely. To say? And and yeah. it yeah. and it really is just that thing of mm. like it's it's the band working as a unit. You know, yes, it's, yes, it's, that's that and, really well said. So the opposite would be if we have a really loud drummer combined with a quiet singer. Oh, that's yeah. trouble. Very, yeah, very hard. Yeah, yeah. Very, very hard. And, and you know, there's obviously things you can sort of go, it's like, well, okay, we've got a really loud drummer. And some dr some drummers are awesome like that. You know, they mm. know they're hard hitters, but they'll be like, well, cool. Well, how about we um, we set the, the drum kit off to the side of the stage rather than like directly behind the singer. And yeah. uh, and I'll, I'll play with, you know, hot rods instead of sticks on these tunes or whatever like mm. that. You know, there's, there's those sort of things that you can, you can adjust. Um, position on the stage can be a, a pretty huge, one um yeah so that you know like you can actually go you know what it's not going to work to have the loudest instrument in the band right next to the quietest instrument yeah. in the band so let's have a look at how we set that up and uh, what about stage size you know if we com mm. consider let's say a small stage where the yeah. entire band is crammed together yeah. compared to a large stage where there's space in between space people, does out. that make a difference oh yeah yeah and 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 the yeah. the room you know like obviously yeah. you know it's not like a It's not like a studio situation where you walk in and you've got like a vocal booth that's like mm. deadened off completely and we've got, you know, like soft things around the room to sort of, you know, control reflections and we've got, you know, all that. Like the average venue you walk into is yeah. is not that at all. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a big open space and, yes. uh, you know, when I sound check a band, you know, I get to a certain point in a sound check, I'm like, cool, now we just have to wait for the meat blankets because mm. at the end of the day... <laughs> <laughs> the meat blankets. <laughs> so uh, you know, we, we uh, so you're referring to the audience the being audience, a really yeah. good absorber. Yeah. So, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that that thing of like you know, mm. there's there's only certain amount of yeah. things you can do to offset 
a big space, you know, or even a small space in terms of its impact on the sound. Um, so it is about listening and it's about communicating and, and, uh, and, and being really mindful of, of each person's role in, in delivering what they want, you know? And, and at the end of the day, like if you have a band that walks on stage where everyone's got their own sort of agenda and they've got their own thing that they're like, you know, that they really want to show off this thing they can do or they really mm. want to sort of, you know, like that that sort of ego-driven stuff, it, it sort of weeds out the higher up in the industry you go. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. The, the, the more professional the band, mm. the less you see of that. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, mm. I think largely due to the fact that you just don't make it big unless you're prepared to have some humility and have some, mm. you know, have some understanding of, of the role of, of everything. And Oh, that really resonates with me. Um, I've always lived by the idea that, you know, musicians on stage shouldn't showcase themselves, but they're there for the other musicians. Yeah, they're there and for the And if everybody song, you know? is there for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And the band, you and, know, and, you so know, much better. You're there to serve the yeah, song, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm there to serve the song. So, mm. you know, like if, it, to me, if like, mm. you know, if I'm mixing a band and, and, and what that really needs is, you know, for, for the bass player to turn the fuck down. Mm. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it, it, like that's my, that's part of my role is, yeah, to, is yeah. to talk to them and go, hey, we're not going to be able to get what we need yeah. without this adjustment. Okay, so at this point of the interview, we're having a little break. Adam and I, we actually chatted for quite some time, so I decided to split this interview in two parts. And this is the end of the first part today. I'm sorry, but it's okay. You can tune in again next week when the second part of the interview comes out on Tuesday morning. If you want to make sure not to miss it, just simply subscribe in your podcast app and you will get a notification. That's how easy it is. In the meantime, if you would like to reach out to me, you can do so via my website mixartist.com.au where I offer music mixed on services to everybody who needs a little bit of help pushing their projects to the finish line. Okay, hope you uh, got something valuable out of today's episode. Thank you again for sharing all your wisdom, Adam. I'll speak to you again next week. This is all for today. Bye for now.